Hey everyone, welcome to Why Evangelism Doesn't Work. We are on episode number, I'm not sure, but it's going to be a great episode today. I'm here with Pastor Peter Watts, former conference evangelist and pastor of the Avondale Memorial Church. And our subject matter that we're going to address today is sealing the deal. And so for those of you guys who are joining us for the first time in this podcast, uh, I get together on a weekly basis with a different person from around our conference, a pastor, evangelist, Bible worker, or fired up church member. And we discuss different uh, topics under the banner of why evangelism doesn't work. And we think evangelism does work when it's you know infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, but uh, a lot of people don't. And so we just thought this would be a good, clever title for our series. So a bit of reverse, bit of reverse, reverse psychology. psychology. That's right. Yeah. We're just... Yeah, that's it. So thanks, Peter, for joining me. Lovely to be I'm super here. Super glad that you could and uh, that you have the time. So, brother, we're talking about sealing the deal. Yep. And so I just want to bridge the gap between why evangelism doesn't work and sealing the deal, right? Okay. So when we say sealing the deal, yep. what we mean is, is gaining decisions for Christ, sure. obtaining uh, commitments from people. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the information, the the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, the, what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life, and so, unless we, as evangelists, as Bible workers, as church members, as pastors, become good at gaining decisions for Christ, unless we develop the ability to gain decisions for Jesus, then mm-hmm. evangelism doesn't work. Yeah, I guess, um, like in my initial thought uh, about this is in terms of gaining decisions, it's kind of like uh, going on a date. You know, uh, if you want to go on dates, you you got to ask the question at right. some point, right? If you if you if you if you're hoping <laughs> that you're going to go on a date with somebody, you've got to ask the question at some point. And right. so it's being, uh, you know, I usually use that illustration from the perspective of asking people about uh, a spiritual question. You know, actually engaging them in a first time conversation. Um, But certainly in terms of uh, sealing the deal and getting decisions from people, it's kind of um, a no-brainer that you would want to do that. In other words, I I think we've talked before, and I know uh, I've said to others before that I've done many a Bible study with people where I haven't done it well. Uh, You know, I haven't sealed the deal. I haven't got the decision. I've, I've, I've made the cardinal error of not getting a decision. In other words, you do the Bible study and you think, okay, now I've taught them about the Sabbath or I've taught them about the law or I've taught them about the second coming or I've taught them about the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes. Um, But you don't necessarily know where they are at at the Mm. end of that study. (laughs) You know what I mean? You don't know if you've advanced the the kingdom at all. You don't know if you've Mm. moved the ball further down the field. Right. Because you you're not engaging uh, with them and asking them where they they come from. Yes. Some of this I think uh, has to do. I like to um, uh, before I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. I have a question for you. Okay, you're you're a preacher of God's word. You've been called by God. It's evident. You've made full proof of your calling in, in my estimation. I, I know who you are. I'm familiar with your ministry as a preacher, as a teacher of God's word, and as a as a pastor. You demonstrate everything Scripture says should be demonstrated to know that someone's called by God to preach the Word of God and to lead out spiritually in ministry. So as a longtime preacher, teacher of God's Word and a convert to Adventism, is there any occasions you can look back on and go, boy, 
that was a time I should have made. Did I blow an it? Appeal. <laughs> boy, that's, did I blow that's it. When, that's when, you know, boy, if I had the ability, I should have sealed the deal. Or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe could you tell any stories in your past that come to your mind where you say, boy, a great appeal for Christ would have been awesome right there. I, I think probably too many. Um, like, like too you, many to think. Yeah, too. you can have experience and you can sort of um, say, well, you know, we like to talk about when we do things well, mm-hmm. right? But I think there are too many times where opportunities go begging because you didn't make the appeal that you should have at the end of a a regular sermon Mm -hmm. or even the right kind of appeal at the end of an evangelistic series or even when you're doing a Bible study where you're not engaging the person, the other person, to the point where you're bringing them to the point of decision. In other words, you kind of, it's it's like you've accomplished the task of getting through Uh, that Bible study class or Bible study with that individual. And and sometimes we'll say that, you know, I got through the sermon Mm -hmm. uh, without thinking that, you know, there's there's a, it's not just a task to perform. There's an actual... So you just like check off your box when you did the Bible study, delivered the information, preached the sermon. There's been plenty of times when I haven't done that. And I think that um, what, what I like to talk to people about when we're doing Bible studies, I like to say, uh, you know, you'll have a Bible, I have a Bible, and I'll read a verse, and then you'll read a verse, yeah. and you'd go back and forth. And so whatever the topic is, I like to say to people now, what do you think that Bible verse is saying about this topic? Mm-hmm. So if the topic's the second coming, and we're reading about the Blessed Hope in Titus 2.13, uh, you might say, well, let's read that out, the Blessed Hope and Glorious Appearance. What do you think that is saying about this topic. And you're, I'm asking that question because I want the other person yes. to articulate mm. what they're learning from that verse rather than me simply Tell them telling what them think about the what verse. they should think. Yeah. And in yeah. a way, that is um, a kind of a, a processed way of getting them to make decisions at the end because so, you're actually yeah. asking them throughout the Bible study, what do they think of this verse? That's brilliant. Yeah. So so you're, you're, con- you're starting... You're, well, you're, you're giving your study with the end in mind. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so in other words, in that kind I of a Bible to, study... to really be able to, to process the information yeah. that I'm sharing while I'm sharing it. And I want them to be seeing from Scripture what God is saying. So then when I get to the end of the study, they're prepared to make a decision yeah. because they're not just regurgitating what Correct. I'm telling them to say. You are uh, laying the foundation. You are... Uh, laying an expectation on their part yeah. that you're going to be asking them a question because you've been asking questions throughout the study. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask a question at the end, this is not an unusual thing. This is part of the process of the Bible study, right? Yeah. So if you've constantly asking a question, so what do you think Paul is saying here about that topic? Yeah. And you're getting them to... And the other thing is, if I just tell somebody what the Bible verse means in relation to that topic and they nod their head and say, yep, okay, we move on to the next verse. I don't really know whether they've got that. They might just be thinking, I don't want to sound dumb, so I'm going to say yes. Yeah, don't want to sound dumb. I want to be polite. I don't want to say stupid. I want to make Peter think like he's doing a good job. So you know what I mean? You can get to the end of a study with them nodding their head all the way through and it won't have changed their lives because they haven't really absorbed, they may not have absorbed what it is you were trying to teach. And so it's, it's great to have that uh, process of asking them throughout the study, what do you think this is teaching? And they might come up with two or three answers that are not really what you want them to find. Right. And you say, 
That's interesting. I never thought of that. What else do you see so, there? So, Peter, in short, you're saying that an appeal begins long before the appeal. Whether it's an evangelistic sermon, whether it's a Bible study you're delivering, whatever context it, it is that you're in that you're sharing yeah. God's Word in. Yeah. See, in a sermon, or even in an evangelistic sermon, you're asking rhetorical questions. You're yeah. getting the participants or the, the, the congregation, the crowd, to think about what it is you're saying. You, you, you're trying to... You know, if you're asked a question, it causes you to think of a response. Whereas if you're just pouring forth information, yeah. you could doze off, right? So um, I think that that's true too in the Bible studies. The other thing I wanted to say was that um, for me, a Bible study is not simply the uh, delivery of information. Okay, it's a transformative process. This is one living being talking to another living being about the greatest ever living being. Mm. And it's, it's a shared experience. So in other words, we're getting to know one another yep. uh, on, a, on a deep spiritual level, mm -hmm. even as we get to know God on a deeper spiritual level. Right. So, so it's not simply, here's the, the material, you know, here are the Bible verses, here is the uh, information, right. I'll see you next Tuesday. You're not robotically transferring information to that's another right. yeah, person. That's good. I mean, I, I think something that's come to my mind because of what you've said, is that success in appeals is not just about the information you're communicating. It's about the spirit with which you're communicating. It's about the relationship. Well, you, you as an individual carry a certain um, level of conviction inside of yourself over the things you're talking about. So if, if, if your relationship to the information you're sharing is a living relationship... If, if you see that this interaction between you and this other person is ordained of God, if you believe in the power of the Spirit that's working in that person's life... If you life, know the value of the material that you're actually yeah, sharing if you believe with somebody that this is this, this is the word of the living God, mm. and God has organized circumstances in such a way, or arranged circumstances in such a way, that through His providence, you and this person are now studying. This is a child of God that's ordained to be saved by heaven, and... Is now now you get to be the ambassador for Christ's sake, and you're delivering this information. And I think if you, it almost seems, to, yeah. So that has an effect on a person, and I think to an extent, it uh, makes or breaks your appeals. So if I'm just a, if I'm my relationship with the material that I'm sharing is just a dry, formal relationship, and if I'm not seeing the circumstance that I'm in with this person as God sees it, mm. well, it's highly unlikely I'm going to get that they're going to really believe yeah. God's calling them to accept this eternal truth. If right? I think about the people who I've done Bible studies with who have said yes to baptism through the years, mm -hmm. I think that ha that has had, had a, as much to do with the relationship we have as yep. the information that we've shared. Yep. Um, somebody the other day said this, and I thought it was quite uh, quite important. As a soul winner, uh, you need logos, pathos, and ethos. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not in that, but logos, ethos, and pathos. So yes. logos is the information. The, the information. Yeah. It's the intelligent uh, putting together of yeah. a biblical position uh, and the, and the, 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 the reasonable knowledge, presentation the of knowledge the that comes yeah. out of that, yeah. right? That's logos. And then you've got ethos is that you're going to... Um, so logos, we get our word logic from that. Ethos, we get our word ethics from mm. that. It's, it's are you behaving in an ethical and a moral way? Mm. You know, am I treating this person 
in in a proper way, it's or am I manipulating them, yeah. or, or or trying yeah. to force them into a, a submission yes. sort of thing? You know what I mean? Mm. That's very important that we are ethically responsible when we're dealing with another human person. Mm. Um, and then, of course, pathos, from which we get uh, empathy. Yeah. Right. I need to think about how it feels to be in their shoes. Yes. Uh, you know, to feel um, their their losses and their heartbreaks and what you know the, mm-hmm. the, the the challenges that they've they've had in their yes. life because we've all had some challenges in our lives. Yep. And oh. so to be able to empathise mm-hmm. with that person whilst delivering the logic and whilst also treating them in a way that I would want to be treated. Yes. Uh, I think all of that is brought to bear. So it's as much about that relationship between yeah. two living beings Real people. and talking about the greatest living being ever. So good. So the information is just one layer of what's transpiring in this spiritual interaction between two human beings. Because you can find a tract, right, yeah. with information in it, mm-hmm. right? And that's valuable. We're yeah. not saying that that has no value. We, we give out tracts. Yep. Yeah. But it seeds. when you add those layers of care and relationship, then you know that that makes they see the message yeah. as much as they read the message. Mm-hmm. I wonder to an extent if the information, the logos, is this is not the seed, and then the ethos and pathos is not the water. You know, it's the Holy Spirit pouring Himself out of you mm. in your interaction with this person, yeah. while the Word of God is is you know lodged in the, in their soul and in their yeah. mind. That's really powerful. You know, I was thinking, in re- in regards to being ethical in our dealings with other people, I've always seen that making an appeal is offering an opportunity. Yeah, it's not like it's it's not. Trying to get someone. It's not to threatening do, it's, somebody. I'm not getting you, know, you to do anything yeah. for me. Do this or die. I'm not trying to get you to do anything. I'm not yeah. trying to get anything from you. Sure. I'm trying to offer something to you. That is so. And important. so I think one of the reasons why people don't like to make appeals, whether it's you know a personal minister who's a church member just sharing with cousin Joe, or if it's a pastor who's preaching his Sabbath sermons on Sabbath or whoever, an evangelist, or whatever. Just when we tell our testimony, why we sometimes don't like to say to our friend after we've told our testimony, well, hey, would you like to learn more? Sure. And, and, and it's because we, the way we relate to appeals as, the way we see appeals, not relate to appeals, the way we see appeals is that they're us trying to get someone like to snare. do something. Yeah, like I want to get you yeah. to say yes. But I think if we rethink or maybe readjust how we relate to appeals and, and if we could just see them as, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm trying to share something with you. We might be much more comfortable yeah. in making appeals because I'm just offering something yeah. to you that I think is of great value. Yeah. And that's easy to do and it's ethical. Yeah. It's it's aligned with the ethos, yeah. right? Like because how ethical are you being if you don't offer someone opportunity to apply information that's going to make their life yeah. a thousand times better? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking in reference to the title yeah. of this uh, week's talk, which is "Sealing the Deal," and you know, now, naturally, which, that's which about carries decisions. all the wrong connotations. <laughs> all the wrong but connotations. But we just we just choose titles because we, we think yeah, that they'll right. catch people's attention. That's right. That's yeah, right. Don't, you don't have to think it's, about don't this. Don't think too much into that. But, Everyone but, out there, but it's the my idea... fault. Peter didn't come up with the title. <laughs> it was me. But the idea is, you know, uh, the the gaining of decisions for Christ, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, we see this in Scripture too. So you know, there are times when we are called to decision. 
You know, yeah. you've got uh, Joshua twenty four fifteen. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Yes. Right. That yeah. there is a point of decision. We think of the time on Mount Carmel where Elijah called the people together and says, "How long? Yes. Will you waver between two opinions? Mm-hmm. If the Lord is God, then serve Him. You know. So Jesus he, says, "No man can serve two masters." No, exactly. Uh, you're with me. You're against There's me. A yeah, make a choice, yeah. There's a choice to make. There's a choice to make. Um, you know, um, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, right? And so decisions are important. And, you know, I, sometimes I, I did a sermon actually um, two or three weeks ago, maybe more, where I talked about the importance of decisions yes. and how they can have a long-lasting, even eternal consequences, whether good or bad decisions, totally. right? We've, we've made decisions in our lives that have affected our lives for decades, if not the rest of our life. Um, so, you know, decisions are very important. Yeah. When we're talking about Bible studies, of course, we're talking about the importance of those decisions from a spiritual, eternal point yeah. of view, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think it's it's important. You know, I'd like to read a passage of Scripture, which is in um, yeah, please. 2 yeah. Corinthians. If we go to 2 Corinthians 5. I'm turning there in my Bible. Right, 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to pick it up from verse 13, which I think is quite interesting. You probably could read all the way through to the end of that chapter, but it says, for we are beside ourselves, sorry, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. I sometimes um, think of um, the fact that because I I came to uh, God from a non-believing background, yeah. Um, and I now see the contrast between life before God and life after God. And I see what the richness or I try to contemplate the richness of what it is God has offered me yeah. and done for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you, you see why the world needs what God has, has to offer. Yeah. You, you understand that need. And you're, I, I find that as a Christian, we're, we're a little bit like, you, you want to be John the Baptist, right? And just scream your head off and tell everybody, this is so important because yeah. it is so important. But you also don't want to sound like a madman right. and then be <laughs> immediately dismissed. Right. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So you, you, we, we sort of have a fine line about trying to demonstrate just how important mm-hmm. this whole thing of yeah. salvation is right. versus complete mediocrity and don't worry about it everything's fine you know mm-hmm. um, because on the one hand if you're two crazy people just won't listen to you and whatever yeah. but it says here if we are beside ourselves I just thought of that when I was reading that verse <laughs> if we are beside ourselves it is for God right um, or if we are of sound mind it is for you for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard uh, no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it talks about reconciliation, which is important. I just wanted to come down to verse 20. It says, Then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though we were, pl- as though God were pleading through us. Mm-hmm. So God has given us this incredible privilege of where he is pleading through us to yes. other people to accept the gospel of Christ. And there is a decision to be made. 
And uh, I want to talk in a moment about some specifics about making yeah. decisions, which sure. I have found helpful. Yeah. Um, that that are the things that have been shared with me and that I have found helpful. You know, brother, this text here, what Paul's saying in Second Corinthians five, especially at the beginning, it's almost as if he's saying, "I'll do whatever I have to do." Yeah. For Jesus' sake, because of his great love and because of all that he's done to get you to make a decision. Well, one of the other like, times I'll, he says, I'll be a fool I'll for be Christ. Crazy. I'll be a fool I'll for be Christ. I'll be in my right mind. I'll, whatever. Yeah. It, this shows a total disregard for himself. Like, and not really, I wouldn't say that that's not the right way to say it, but it'd be like a total disregard for his reputation. That, yeah. He doesn't care about his reputation. Which is what God did. Yeah, he, that's right. God had a total, you know, he did not. He was not interested in trying to protect his reputation no. when he came and died on the cross. That's right. And uh, how many times a day do we hear appeals from marketers who are yeah. campaigning for a product and appealing to us to part with our money, to part with our money and purchase the product? And how many different ways did they do it? Yeah. Um, I remember there's a pizza place in Florida. It, it's it's uh, called Little Caesars, and the guy, the the like mascot of Little Caesars, is a guy who's like a little Caesar. It's like this kind of fat Italian guy with kind of Caesar haircut and I think a I've wreath seen around the his head. Uh, yeah, I think I've seen well, the chain. <laughs> yeah, so it's a big chain in the U.S. Well, it's super cheap pizza too, by the way. <laughs> it's like five bucks for just a mountain of pizza, and. What these what these places do is they get kids like teenagers. They hire them for however much you know as, as little as they can, and these teenagers have to stand out front of the little Caesars with like these corny outfits on, looking like a Caesar with these funny signs, right? <laughs> and they they sometimes even say to them they make them dance. They say like we'll pay you if you just dance, and so you just see some like seventeen year old kid just get your attention to get your attention. Get your attention. So they're appealing. For Little Caesars Pizza, this shows that they believe in the product. They want to get your attention. They don't really care about the reputation and how they look to you. I even have a friend. I want to mention his name who worked for Little Caesars as a kid. And some people listening would know who this guy was. He's a. I'll just skip some information. He's he's a guy who used to work with me, and when I was a traveling evangelist in the U.S. And he's presently associated with Lightbearers Ministry, and he's he's getting his his. PhD of history at Cambridge University. That's what I'll say. And when he was a kid in Miami, he got a job as one of those guys. And he tells a story of how he was just standing out there, you know, just trying to get attention. And some other friends from high school came and like threw rocks. You know, people would throw rocks at you and they'd yell at you and they'd throw their drinks at you out of the window and you did just still keep keep doing it. And uh, I just love this as an example, like as an illustration, as an object lesson. Of how all of these marketers, they believe in their product and they'll do whatever it takes to get you to purchase their product and they stand by their product. And, uh, and their employees oh are willing boy. to go to all kinds of lengths oh, to just sell a pizza. That's right. And so, man, this is Paul, right? Like he's just like, this is, this is eternity. This is the gospel. God has reconciled the world in himself. You know, if, if one died for all, then all were dead. Mm. And we don't judge anyone according to the flesh because we know the power of God and we know what he can do and what mm. he has done. And I'm just going to be pleading on God. I just love it, man. Mm. It's just like, I think that's just a good object lesson that we should all think about. And that is all of the efforts put forward by marketing companies to sell products. Yep. And how much better a product do we have to sell? And, and I'm not trying to cheapen the sure. gospel by saying we sell anything because some cynic out there is going to say that. But I'm just simply saying, 
use that metaphor, man. We have eternity Absolutely. and truth. So, so here's the thing. So as we said before, in verse 20, where it says, as though God were pleading through us. So in other words, I, I think it's got to matter to us. If we're doing a Bible study with somebody, they have to see that it matters to us. You know, whether it matters to them, we're going to find that out over the course of the conversation and over the course of the relationship. Yeah. But the reality is, if they don't see that it means something to, to us, why, why should it mean anything to them? You know, and, and again, like you said, with marketers, you see that all the time. So this is, here's a couple of things in terms of gaining decisions at the end. I've already spoken about that through the Bible study. If you can read the scripture and then say, what do you think this is telling us about that topic? That's a good way of leading them through the Bible study. They're learning as they go. You know that they know what it means because it's come out of their own mouth. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's an important step, I think, in, in the process of a Bible study. But then, um, and you, one of the things I didn't mention is illustrate, illustrate, illustrate. Yes. If you can find a modern day familiar illustration mm -hmm. of how to um, tell that truth mm -hmm. in today's language, that's gold because it'll help contextualize that teaching for the person. So for instance, yeah. Jesus was a master of doing this. He would yes. use all the objects around him, whether it was the wind or a coin or a mm -hmm. boat or uh, a camel or whatever it was, he would yes. use these illustrations. He would talk in parables and he would tell stories of things that were very familiar to them. One, mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, I was using an illustration the other day just to try and mm -hmm. mention a point to some of our church members, you know, 60 years ago, Queen Elizabeth got coronated in England. But in England at that time, not everybody had a TV set. So people would gather around at the homes of people who did have yeah, a TV, TV set yeah. to watch something important. And I use that as an illustration of Zoom. Not everybody in our church has Zoom, <laughs> but some do. Yeah. But we can gather at the homes of those who do have Zoom so we can participate in Zoom if we don't have it. Yeah, yeah. So, so in other words, you're just trying to illustrate so that people understand what it is you're talking about yeah. and the concept you're trying to get across. But so, here, yeah, the, if I'm gonna just jump in there. Jump in. We, you know, you've got this is such powerful thoughts you're sharing, man, and I know that you want to share a lot more. One of the illustrations Jesus gives in Scripture to teach about the Holy Spirit is the wind, and we've talked about this before, mm. but I think it bears repeating in regards to making appeals. Yes, I feel that people who are good at making appeals and who are successful in gaining decisions for Christ are people who have learned to recognize the Spirit's work in someone's life. Right. And so they've developed their eye. They just see. By the way, it's kind of like surfing. Mm -hmm. uh, like you might just look at the ocean and just see you know, some waves, some wind, some whatever. It's a color. Someone who's been surfing for you know, a decade, two decades, three decades, will look at the ocean. It looks like the normal beach and they'll see currents. They'll see... Uh, they'll, They'll see whether the swell's on the increase, on the decrease, where the sandbars are, just by looking, just a quick snapshot. When you're in the water, you know, surfers who are experienced will all, always have the ability to put themselves in the right spot. The, the uninitiated person will come out in the water and just sit there. Professional surfers are not just good at surfing, they're professional ocean watchers. They're professional ocean readers. Right. And I think good soul winners who gain decisions for Christ are good people readers. Right. They've developed an eye to see how the Spirit's working. And Jesus said that the yeah. Spirit was like the wind. And you could see the effects of the wind. There's an emotional response. There's, a, there's, you can just, there's signs. There's yeah. indications that are being expressed through a person 
of how that's it's kind of like a piano it's like the sound and the, the spirit's like playing a, a tune you know on that person and they're responding a certain way and can you read the song that's mm-hmm. being played through their expressions and their mm-hmm. deportment and their disposition and i think yeah that's what i've noticed and i'm not i'm not a master at it by sure. any means but people who i know who are really good at making good appeals and gaining decisions are people who who read the spirit and who know how to see the spirit's work in someone and work in partnership in tandem with the Holy Ghost. And that's an illustration that Jesus uses, right? That I think is, is pertinent to this discussion. Oh, when we, yeah, and when we're talking about pathos, you've got to have that emotional... Mm-hmm. We've got to love people, right? Mm-hmm. We have to love people. We have to care about them rather than just be delivering material. We, we, we care about who they are. We care about the journey that they're on. We care about their future. Yep. We care about who they are today. Yeah. And so, um, and I think yeah, that as you're watching for, yeah, you're looking for the way they react to yeah. some of the, the biblical teaching that they're being exposed to. And isn't it wonderful that we have the ally of the Holy Spirit who's working on the inside, inside yeah. even as, as we're attempting to talk from the outside. That's right. So, you know, we, we, we're praying for that, right? We're, we're praying that that, that happens. Mm-hmm. In, terms of, in terms of actually making decisions at the end of a Bible study, there are a couple of so things. Get some practical stuff for us. Yeah, so some practical now. Some practical tips. And talk some practical or, stuff yeah, that's good. now. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So, so there's, there's a little set of questions here that I found helpful. And mm-hmm. um, one is so you come to the end of the study and you say, so um, do you understand that the, the Sabbath is Saturday or it's the seventh day of the week? Do you understand that mm-hmm. after this, this study? And mm-hmm. you get that response. And then you say, do you believe that the Sabbath? Is Saturday because you can understand what we've taught, mm-hmm. but do you believe it for yourself? Right. You know, do you believe Has that? Has convinced you, or you? Or, or persuaded this or is true. It might be. Do you understand that God wants people to keep the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you believe God wants you to keep the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. That's a different question. Yes. Right. And yes, I believe that God. You, you know, if somebody responds, yes, I believe God wants me to keep the Sabbath. There's a third follow-up question. Do you commit to keeping the Sabbath, the, the, the Lord's Sabbath? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So do you understand, do you believe, yes. and do you commit? Mm-hmm. There are three different things. It's, it's a, you know, like the, with the second coming. Do you, be, you know, do you understand that the Bible teaches that Jesus is coming soon? Right. Yeah. Do you believe he's coming soon? Do you believe it's going to yeah. happen soon? And do you want to be ready when Jesus comes? So those three questions, I think, are helpful in moving people from, yes, I've got That's the great. information. I love it. That's yeah, question. I actually believe it yeah. deep inside. And then what am I going to do with that? Am I going to commit my life to that? Do I want to be ready for Jesus to come? Do I want to keep the Sabbath? Is that scary or what? <laughs> it is. It takes, it takes a person rising out of their, com- out of their comfort zone mm. to, to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. I think I think that's happened to me in dozens of studies where yeah. you just want to keep talking because you're nervous. Sure. And you're you're not really sure if you've communicated well or if the person has understood or yeah. whether even if it's a sermon or whatever, the yeah. context, you're delivering. You might be watching the clock, you've got another you're, appointment. Yeah, you're having a, a Bible especially just because you're speaking about Bible studies. Yep. So I'm giving a study with someone. I, I use the same approach that you do, by the way. I like questions throughout, and I don't answer the questions that I ask sure. in a Bible study because I actually want someone to be thinking, and I want them to, to be reading what the Scripture says and with their own 
mind, you know, it's more satisfying to discover truth than to be told truth. Oh, absolutely. And and because we're not just looking for people to like in bovine fashion just to shake their heads, you know, we're looking for people who are generally genuinely wanting to engage with God. Yeah. And so we're reading a text, and I ask a couple questions to make sure that they understood it. That they're, mm. and also this trains them for later when they study the Bible on their own, mm. right? Um, I do that. I like to do that. I take that approach. But then getting to an end of a study, and then saying, you know, asking these kinds of questions, yeah. it it basically it puts you out there. Yeah. It makes you and what you've presented vulnerable in, in a way, or maybe sure. not vulnerable. That's not maybe the right word, but it subject to rejection. Right. Okay. Subject to rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. If you never ask the question, you could be satisfied right. with yourself. I did You're the study. Not... I can walk away. That's right. I chalk it up. That's another one on my list. Do you understand? Well, I give you... It's so funny. I gave a Bible study to this one particular woman for about six weeks, and then I had to travel out of town to go do some evangelistic preaching in the Ukraine. And I had a friend named Jacob take my spot in the studies. Now, at the time, in our walk with God, Jacob was a much... He was very much my junior. Mm-hmm. I saw myself, and I think he would have seen me as the kind of elder brother, the one traveling and preaching evangelistically and, and all this stuff. And he's just the newcomer. He's just given Bible studies, and he's lucky to be on the team. Kind of, a, yeah. you know, he's, he's a lower-ranked person. And so he gives studies to this woman. And then when I get back, this woman had learning disabilities. I get back, I ask her, how, how are your studies with Jacob? And I literally thought she was going to say, I'm so glad you're back because your studies were 10 times better. She looks at me with complete sincerity and she says, you know, I was so I was so, so loving his studies because when you give me studies, I never really understand anything. And for the first time, it was nice to understand from the Bible. Wow. And it, it you know, obviously was very hard. Devastating to your yeah, ego. To your ego. But it, 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 it was educational. Right. And it helped me to understand that what I thought was being communicated was not being communicated. Mm-hmm. And I, in my studies with her, was not really giving her an opportunity, a sufficient opportunity to let me know yeah. that she wasn't really understanding. That and I was overcomplicating the study. I was talking too much. I wasn't asking enough really good questions. I was it became not, more about you. It was at my was pace, not at her pace. Yeah. It, was, it was me performing. Yeah. We've all done that, I yeah. think. Well, if yeah. you get to the end and you, you're going to make an opportunity available and say to a person, hey, listen, um, was this information clear? Do you see mm. that this is the biblical truth, that the law of God has not been abrogated? It's, it's a transcript of God's character. It's love in action. Mm-hmm. And you're not saved by it, but God mm-hmm. writes it on your heart through Jesus. Do you want to accept that biblical truth? Do you see that that's biblical truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, does God want you? To accept his law, you know, if you, as soon as you do that, you're now the person can just say yeah, no, or you right. know it's gonna, it maybe get, it gets tense, or yes. the person feels uncomfortable. Yeah. They're starting and, to think through the implications of making such a decision. Appeals are to an extent risky. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of other questions that are picked up, and I mm-hmm. think I, I got these, I think, from Pastor Jeff Yulden. Yes. And I just want to share them, uh, and they're along the same lines, but I, I think they were quite mm. uh, insightful. So, um, Jeff said that in a Bible study, he will ask a couple of questions. He might say. Was this topic new to you? That's good. Um, so let's say we were talking about the Sabbath. And uh, the reason that question is quite useful is, is this topic new for you? You find out where they are on that topic. They might say, oh, no, my aunt's the Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah. Or they might say, I've never heard this before in my life. 
You know, so you're finding out where they are on the scale of that topic mm. and how much background knowledge they may have had prior to the Bible study. Yeah. Was this new to you? And then there's the next question, which is interesting. Is there anything that would prevent you from keeping the Sabbath? Right. That's a good Louis, Louis Torres question. Yeah. What would keep you? You know, mm. because um, it gets to the heart of the matter. Because if you say, do you think you should be keeping Sabbath? Yep. Would you like to keep Sabbath? Yep. Okay, great. They'd like to. They think they should, but (laughs) are they going to? Now, there are a whole lot of things in their life that may be preventing them or they see as obstacles, stopping them from keeping Sabbath. So I think those two questions, you can use it for many other things, of course. Is this this topic new to you? I like that. And is there anything that would prevent you from committing to this particular truth? And then would you like to commit to keeping this truth on Sabbath or whatever. So I think those are helpful, have been helpful questions to me. Mm. Uh, As I said before, there are so many times when I've done the wrong thing and not made the right appeals or just got the Bible study done and got got out of there and, you know. I was preaching in a camp meeting at the Iowa, Missouri conference many, many years ago and the Holy Ghost came down with, with just power and Jesus was there and it was just so evident to everyone there's kids crying convulsed it was just one of those beautiful moments like like where god was speaking in spite of all the sin in you as a preacher and a presenter Mm -hmm. and i remember i just just ended the message and didn't make an appeal and like five of the pastors came up to me after like what's what's up man like you preached that that, like the holy spirit came down the holy spirit and you didn't make an appeal and uh, we make those mistakes sometimes, and, and it's and it's just uh, it's unfortunate. But I, I think that uh, we, if we don't make appeals to an extent, are communicating a lack of faith in what God is doing in people's lives. And you know, we communicate through precept and example. And so, if the example we set is that we don't make appeals on a regular basis, we're in essence teaching people that. There's nothing they need to respond to here, right? Because if I preach 52 times this a year... This isn't a life-changing if I, message. If I preach 52 times a year, I'm the evangelism mm. guy in this conference and I do Sabbath school and personal ministries. And so we go to a church on Sabbath 52 times a year and don't make any appeals as the evangelism director. I'm in essence saying to the churches, there's nothing to respond to. There's nothing to appeal no, nothing to. to. Nothing to appeal for, nothing really happening. It's a, it's a manifest... Uh, it's a little bit of a lack of faith. Sure. So, um, man, thank you, Peter, for coming. There's so much more we could say. Huge topic. We didn't intend. Our intention is never to teach comprehensively on any subjects, but it's to have a conversation. I think it's always, yeah, it's always good to remind ourselves that it's God who seals the deal. But yeah. He is using us vessels, yeah. and you know, we we do want to move people closer to the kingdom of God at the mm. end of each study or through the study, but then particularly at the end of the study yep. by asking them to make a decision about what they've heard mm-hmm. and get closer to Jesus. And why communicate eternal truth if you're not going to invite people to accept it? Yep. What was the whole point in the first place? Yeah, man. Wow. I don't want to go. I'm, I'm feeling hesitant, but we got to get going. God bless you, Peter. Um, Thanks, all the best to you and your ministry and everything you do. We love you here. And appreciate who you are and uh, the man that God has made you. Um, Thank you guys for listening in. Please keep uh, this subject in your prayers. We as a church need to get better and better and better at making the appeals that God is calling us to make on behalf of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says the spirit and the bride say come.
in Revelation 22, 17. And let him who hears say, come. We're all called to be God's mouthpieces to say, come to the world. God bless you guys. Take care. We'll see you soon.